for tuning in to the 173rd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always. Wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Going to have a great show planned for all of you today. Going to have Dan Hope, senior reporter for the Ohio State football team. Uh, for the 11 Warriors, me and Dan had a great interview. We talked overall about college football, what's going on with the coronavirus, and kind of hit on that, where there'll be a college football season, how we kind of go through all the minutia of how that's swirling around and how that relates to college football. We also got into the Ohio State Buckeyes, so really interesting interview. And again, I want to thank Dan for coming on. And without ado, we're going to get to that, my interview with Dan Hope. Coming up next, after the break, on Barbershop Sports Talk. With Barbershop Sports Talk, we have a very special guest with us today, Dan Hope. He covers the Ohio State Buckeyes for 11 Warriors. How you doing, Dan? I'm good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. Now, what I do want to talk to you about, right, so college football. There's been kind of a lot of talk of corona going on. There's been really talks that the NFL is probably going to have a season, right? You know, the NBA is doing their bubble. But people are kind of focusing now that we're in the summer. It's going to be college football season soon. Do you think we will have a college football season? You know, I certainly hope so, you know, in part because it seems like, you know, one week there will be a lot of growing optimism and then, you know, this past week it kind of feels like things are going in the other direction, so I really hope we do, um, but, I, but I, I think, you know, it's still kind of up in the air at this point because, uh, you know, we've seen here from just in this past week, uh, quite a few schools have reported, you know, fairly significant numbers of, of athletes. Uh, testing positive for COVID-19, and some of them even had to shut down voluntary workouts. So I think the question that I have at this point is, you know, we've got you know a little less than three months until the start of the season at this point. What's the plan going to be? If, if, if players test positive during the season, how are you going to proceed forward? Because I think that's inevitable, and I think there has to be a plan that's not just shutting everything down as soon as someone tests positive. Because I think if that plan things aren't going to work. So I think over the next couple months here, uh, it's going to be really important to have a plan in place. Uh, if they're going to play, they have to go into it feeling confident that we can play, it is safe, and this is what's going to happen if someone tests positive. And, and some of that, I think, comes down to how much risk are they willing to take, and I think some of it comes down to you know, how confident they feel that if somebody gets it, they can isolate that person, that person can get treated, and they can still keep the rest of the team safe without having some massive outbreak. Now, what I also find interesting about this is, right, so all the SEC schools, I believe, uh, all their states are open, and and Ohio's open, too. How do you, how do these programs kind of balance this? Because as the states open, businesses open up, 
inherently then colleges open up and it's kind of hard. You can't like at Ohio State, if people are going to class and you're having school, then you're going to have to have your athletes there and you're going to have to have them play. So what do you think that balance is if things are open, still playing college football while being safe at the same time? Yeah, and I think the hard thing is you can't, you can only control so many aspects of this situation. So you look at like what the NBA is trying to do right now, and they're looking at, you know, basically creating a bubble for their players uh, at Disney World and, and, and keeping all of their players in one controlled area to slow the spread of COVID 19. But with, a, with college athletes, you can't do that because, like you said, uh, they have to go to class, and they're not paid. So you can't you can't just confine athletes in their dorm for three months. You can't confine athletes in a hotel, college athletes in a, in a hotel for three months. You, just, you can't do that. So I think that's the, that's the real challenge is you know, even if you know nobody on the team has it right now and they're going through voluntary workouts and they think it's safe there, when you start having you know these athletes going to classes and plus. You can you can tell the players, you know, we really want you to be smart about where you go. We want you to wear a mask everywhere. We want you to social distance. Uh, we don't want you going out to a nightclub or something like that where you might put yourself at higher risk. But you've got 120 players on a college football team. And to realistically think that every one of them is going to make all the right decisions here, that none of them are going to put themselves in harm's way, I don't think that's really realistic. So I think you, you have to just look at the fact that you know, things could happen here. I, I think if you if you think you're going to go through a season and not have any cases of COVID-19, I think that's probably naive. So I think you have to be willing to accept some of that, and you have to have a plan in place for, hey, if 10 of our players catch this and they have to be isolated for two weeks, can we proceed forward with that? And I think those are the tough questions that athletic directors and coaches are really asking right now. And a question I would ask you, because you mentioned this, you can't necessarily treat college football players like you treat even people are talking about a bubble in the NFL or even in the NBA or the MLS because, you know, inherently they're not getting paid, right? So here's my question. With some of the better players in college football, names that come to mind are Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields for Ohio State. Are Do you think those guys might be angling for, not, not for money, but for an insurance policy? Like we see in the NBA, some players are asking for an insurance policy or they're just not playing at all because of the risk of COVID. Do you think we could potentially see that happening behind the scenes at all? It's possible because some of those athletes already have insurance policies in regards to injuries. I know, you know, a lot of times, a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, I don't know for sure, but they might already have insurance policies because they are projected future first round NFL drafts. And there's always that risk that, you know, going into their last season of college football, they could get injured. So I, I would certainly think that that's something that probably, uh, if you're a, you know, a, a future early round NFL draft pick, that's something you'd probably be even more inclined to look into right now. I don't know that it would necessarily be something completely out of the ordinary, but I would think that if you're if you're a top player, if you weren't already looking into that, uh, now would definitely be a good time to do so now that you're adding uh, an additional risk factor. And something else I've been reading is that maybe some of the higher-level college football teams, like we're talking about Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, that they might not be willing to play – uh, lower tier, like the FCS schools, because, you know, at Ohio State, they have every resource possible. If there's an outbreak or somebody on the team gets a virus to keep their players kind of 
healthy, as healthy as possibly can with the resources they have, that maybe uh, a double-A school would not have. So if you're having both these teams play, then it's kind of like, what's the point if they don't have the resource to make sure their athletes are being protected as much? So do you think that could end up being an issue this year? Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. I, I know the Big Ten has at least had discussion about the possibility of a conference games-only season where they would only play every Big Ten schools. And I don't know whether or not that will actually happen, but I, I think that's certainly one of the possibilities uh, that's being weighed uh, by conferences around the country. Because I, because I think, for example, if you have just a Big Ten season, you can have conference-wide regulations, you can have specific rules that are in place for all the schools, and you can contain the amount of, you know, the possible sources of outbreak to within the teams in your conference. Because I think, you know, for example, within the first three weeks of the season, if you have all the Big Ten teams playing all different opponents from different conferences, now you've increased the possible spread. You've, you've introduced that many more possible sources of a team that could potentially have an outbreak that could then infect the team in your conference and then that could, spread, that could spread elsewhere and it could start eliminating games, eliminating teams, whatever. So I, I think it does make some sense uh, to contain contain the schedules potentially to just conference games. Obviously, you know, you start you know, thinking of the whole season, you start thinking, okay, you know, how might this affect college football playoff? How might this affect bowl game? Uh, you know, I think those are questions that are still up in the air as well, but you know, I do think we're definitely going to see some schedule modifications here. I'd be fairly surprised. I look at a game like the Ohio State game at Oregon. Uh, obviously, both teams would like to play that game. But if I'm being completely honest, at the moment we speak, I, I'm personally pretty surprised that that game actually happens because I, I just think that uh, a team, you know, going across the country to, to play a game in front of most likely no fan uh, just might be considered too high risk a proposition right now. So you think there's okay? So there's a potential that Ohio State double uh, A schools aside, like the, you know that's a major Power Five matchup. You think there's a potential that that won't happen? I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit. I couldn't hear. You. With uh, in terms of I was kind of mentioning about double A schools and them not wanting to play them because of resources, but you're mentioning that they might Ohio State might not want to play a team like Oregon, and that's supposed to be a big Power Five matchup just because of the travel and the inherent risk. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I think. Obviously, that's a game, you know, if you're, you know, a TV network, you'd love to have that game. Uh, it's certainly going to generate a lot of ratings. But, you know, the tough thing is, you know, if you're, if you're Oregon hosting that game, uh, I mean, I mean, sure, you'd love to host it, but you're not going to have those fans, fans coming in. So, you know, I would think there's probably a pretty good chance here that in the next couple months, uh, if, if they don't think it's going to be safe to have that game, that they would have a discussion between the two schools and, and rework that contract and uh, figure out whether you know Oregon, Oregon could host Ohio State in a future year. Or maybe they make that game next year a neutral site game, something like that. But I, I do like I think non-conference games are going to be the first thing to go here, uh, whether it's Power Five games or, or whether it's uh, you know Group of Five or SDS, whatever it is. I think those non-conference games, especially early in the season, are going to be the first games to go. And I think especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, cross-country travel, you know, thousands of miles across time zones, I think those are going to be the games that are probably going to be the first ones to go just because uh, of the travel challenges and, and the potential risks that could come with. 
Now, because this is interesting, too, because a lot of the talk about the NBA coming back is part of like TV contracts, right? So much money's in TV. And in college football, if you're talking about you're missing now matchups like Ohio State and Oregon, where do you think that balance is? Do they have to give back that money to uh, the the people they pay for the TV contracts? Or you're just talking about they rework it and then if they keep the money? Like, how does that all work? Yeah, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I don't really know enough about that to really give you an informed answer on that. I mean, this is such an unprecedented situation that uh, there's going to be uh, a, a lot of lawyers involved, a lot of looking at contracts uh, just to figure out how this is all going to work. Uh, but to be completely honest with you, I haven't studied TV contracts or even really looked them over to where I'd be able to tell you uh, how that's going to work from a financial standpoint. Now, what I also do want to ask you is, so Gene Smith, uh, there was a lot of noise made about last week about Gene Smith asking Ohio State players to sign a waiver in case potentially something happens. I want to know what your thoughts about that are. Yeah, you know, I, I think honestly it's been made out to be probably a bigger deal than it really is because uh, a lot of schools around the country are doing it, and I think Ohio State was one of the first ones that was reported on, so a lot of the focus. Uh, naturally went to Ohio State because of that and because it's such a big brand. But when you look at what the, the pledge actually, the Buckeye pledge is the document that they were asked to sign. And when you look at what that really is, uh, there's not a lot of language in there. That, you know, there's nothing in there that's really mentioning liability or saying that you know players uh, accept all risk or that they're giving up liability uh, claims against the university. Uh, certainly, it is an acknowledgement of risk document, and I, and I think it is disingenuous for the university to say that it's not a legal document because if you're requiring players to sign it, if you're requiring uh, players' parents or guardians to sign it if they're under 18, then uh, I think it is certainly uh, at least one reason why you're doing it is for legal protection. But at the same time, when you look at the things that they're asking the athletes to agree to in terms of uh, taking tests and staying home if they feel sick and uh, reporting any symptoms back to athletic trainers. I think those are pretty common sense things that I think really everybody needs to be doing right now, regardless of whether they're an athlete, a college student, whatever. Uh, I think those are just kind of common sense things that are going to be reality uh, for everybody until this pandemic is over. So, uh, you know, in terms of asking the players to do that, I don't have an issue with that. I think that that's common sense. Uh, you know, whether the players should be, you know, signing anything that could uh, potentially limit their rights, uh, that's, you know, definitely a worthy question. I think a lot of it kind of goes back to the, the larger conversation of athletes' rights and whether, you know, they should have a union or they should be able to negotiate these kind of things. I think those are all very valid conversations that should be had, but I don't think Ohio State is doing anything here. It's really out of the ordinary from what a lot of schools are doing. Now, a big part of college football and college sports in general is the fans. And there's also been talk. It, will there be fans? Like, I've heard some schools say that they're going to have just the student section. Uh, what have you kind of been hearing with Ohio State? Are they going to have fans there at the shoe? Well, the reality is nobody knows right now. The reality is schools can say what they want. But uh, at this point, I don't think any school has gone forward with, you know, being able to say 100% we're going to have fans in the fans, and I think that's one of those things that's going to continue to be volatile over the next two months. So, you know, Gene Smith has said that, you know, he's hopeful that they will be able to host 
somewhere between 20 to 50,000 fans, uh, depending on what restrictions are. Uh, Ohio State has sold, I believe, over 40,000 season tickets. So uh, you would think that if there are fans, the vast majority of those fans are going to be returning season ticket holders. Uh, not, you know, I, I would imagine you know, they, they would try to you know, do something for students if they're going to allow fans at games. But as of now, I don't know about that. So Ryan Day comes in last year. He replaces Urban Meyer, and Ohio State doesn't miss a beat. And they're a controversial, let's say, semifinal uh, away from making it to the finals. What were your kind of thoughts of the overall season last year, and how do you think Ryan Day did in terms of filling in for Urban Meyer? Well, I think he did fantastic. I think to, to win uh, your first 13 games uh, really dominate just about everybody you play uh, during the regular season. Uh, as a first-year head coach, I, I don't think you can really ask for much more, obviously. A uh, disappointing way to end the season, uh, losing to Clemson in a heartbreaker in the college football playoff. But uh, for a first-year head coach to have the kind of year that he did uh, looks fantastic for Ryan Day. And I think uh, the the optimism uh, in Columbus for Ryan Day's future as Ohio State head coach is extremely high right now. You, was the thought always around Ohio State that Ryan Day would be the guy to take over for Urban Meyer? Well, the thing is, he was only he was only at Ohio State. I mean, he was only in his second year when he became the interim coach, and then ultimately was named the permanent head coach at the end of the year. So I, I can't say that it was something that had been talked about for years and years because uh, that, that just wasn't the case. But you know, what I would say is, I think uh, after his first year at Ohio State, he had some overtures to go elsewhere. Uh, and the Tennessee Titans wanted him to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, UCLA, I know, it made an offer to him. I think Mississippi State at least wanted to interview him for a head coaching position. So he had some opportunities to go elsewhere. And at that time, Ohio State uh, gave him a three-year contract, promoted him to lead offensive coordinator. So at that time, you could see they were laying the groundwork for him being a potential successor to Urban. I don't think anybody expected it to happen as fast as it did until all the, the Zach Smith situation uh, came to light. But I, certainly he was someone that you could see was on that kind of trajectory. And I think uh, he was the obvious choice once they decided to go in that direction, once Urban decided to retire, because I think he was the one who was being groomed as a potential future head coach of the program. Now, you mentioned that, you know, Ohio State had a disappointing semifinal against Clemson, a heartbreaker. What were your thoughts about that game? Because, you know, there's a lot of controversy around it. Uh, the targeting hit that kind of changed, really, the scope of the game, a game which Ohio State was kind of winning handily, and then Clemson came back. What were your thoughts of that play and just the game in general? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was a great game. I think people always remember those kind of controversial uh, officiating calls and you know, certainly there were a couple that went against Ohio State that uh, certainly could have changed uh, the outcome of the game potentially. But, you know, there, there were a lot of mistakes for Ohio State in that game. Um, it, you know, it wasn't just a show. There were a lot of different things, including, you know, the very last play that, it, you know, Chris Olave, of course, making a route running mistake that leads to the interception. You know, that's one play right there Ohio State could have won the game on. There were uh, several trips to the red zone where Ohio State. 
uh, could have scored a touchdown and, and didn't. So there was a lot of things that added up that won against Ohio State where uh, Ohio State didn't end up winning a game uh, that it ultimately probably should have in terms of uh, the way it played for most of the game. But you know, the reality is you know, that's now six months past. Uh, it's certainly one of those games that Ohio State fans are not going to forget for a long time. But if you're the team, you, you got to move forward. You can't you can't be dwelling on how that game played out anymore. It's, it's certainly going to be motivation whenever the Buckeyes get back on the field uh, to try to go win a championship. Uh, certainly, uh, I think they would love to get another shot at Clemson. But uh, you, you can't you can't dwell on the officials' mistakes anymore. That's that's a thing of the past at this point. Where does that game rank for you in terms of watching college football games? Oh, man, I, I don't know that I'd even really give it any thought, but it was certainly an exciting game. You know, it, it's, different when you're, it's different when you're covering it versus just watching a game at home. You know, it, it, it's two very different things. So uh, I can't really compare it versus, you know, an exciting game I would have just watched on TV as a fan because uh, when you're covering the game, you're focused on, you know, I, you know I, I, when I cover a game as a, as a beat writer for the Warriors, I have to have a story written to publish as soon as the game is over. So when, when that game was in the final minute, I, I literally have two different stories going, one trip Ohio State wins, one trip Ohio State loses. And as soon as I see Justin Fields throw that pick, I'm, I'm getting that Ohio State loses story uh, ready to go a minute later because Clemson's about to kneel out the ball uh, and, and finish out the game. So uh, when you're in the moment, you're just kind of focused on, okay, what do I need to do here? Uh, how, how do I get my my story done it's a little different than just watching a game at home but uh, it, it was certainly a, a really fun game to watch uh, certainly one of the games that you know I won't forget for a long time so I will say to be honest uh, it, it, with everything that's gone on this year it feels like it was a lot longer than six months ago just because it's been such a crazy year yeah no no I completely agree and it's also interesting too because you kind of mentioned that maybe Ohio State wants another shot at Clemson and I would assume those are most people would recognize those are the two best teams. You'd agree with that, right? One and two, whichever order you want them in. Yeah, I think Alabama's up there too. I, I think I think Alabama's not getting maybe as much credit as they deserve going into the year. Because I think everybody focuses on the quarterback, and I, certainly I think everyone agrees that Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are the two best teams, are the two best quarterbacks. Excuse me, returning in college football, but. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some questions about both those teams, too. I mean, Ohio State's losing a lot on defense. Uh, Clemson has lost quite a bit on defense as well, and, and they've got uh, – they're losing four starters on the offensive line as well. So, I mean, I, I think they deserve to be the top two teams in terms of the odds to be the national championship. But you know, I think Alabama will be there, um, you know, certainly. You know, I mean, LSU lost a lot from last year, but, you know, they're still in the mix. Uh, Georgia's a team that could be in the mix. Uh, you know, Oklahoma, they can't seem to quite get over that hump, but they're usually a team that's in that college football playoff hunt. So, you know, I, I would predict that, you know, assuming there's a full season here, that the national championship game is going to be some mix of Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. But I don't know that I necessarily think the gap between Clemson and Ohio State and everyone else is, is quite as big as being made out to be. Okay, but I'm also pretty sure that people would love to see Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields go against each other. That would be in the finals. That that'd probably be the odds-on favor for what most people want to see. Now, what I do want to ask you is this: for somebody that's covered Ohio State and seeing Justin Fields up close, can you just kind of describe like how good Justin Fields is? I mean, he's certainly he's certainly a special talent. I mean, just watching him last year to come in as a first-year starting quarterback and to have the kind of season he did. I mean, I, I was honestly. Uh, 
surprised at just how well he played right out of the gate. Because you'd expect a first-year starter who's never started a collegiate game before, transferred from another school, you'd think he might have some growing pains. But we really never saw that from Justin Fields. He was really just so solid all year long. Uh, you know, somebody who, you know, has that arm talent to make all the throws on the field, but is also an excellent athlete as well. So uh, he's a special talent. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and, you know, obviously he was hampered a little bit by injury at the end of last season, but as long as he can stay healthy, uh, his, his potential is, is limitless. And, you know, I, I would certainly expect that, you know, he's going to make another run at the Heisman Trophy and that he's uh, going to be one of the top picks in the 2021 NFL Draft. What's the thing that impresses you most about him? I think what just I think it's just the fact that there's just not really any real weakness. I, I mean, I think I mean that's not a great answer, but I think it's just the fact that it, it's so hard to poke holes in his game because I always have people ask me, you know, what can he get better on? And the answer is there's just there's really not an obvious answer. I'm sure if you're a quarterback coach, you're looking at little small mechanical things different things he can do to expand upon his skill set, but you know, he's got the accuracy, he's got an elite arm, he's got, you know, elite athleticism. And what, what impressed me so much last year was his decision making because again, you would think an inexperienced quarterback, maybe he's gonna make some some stupid throws, maybe he's gonna make some costly turnovers, but uh, until the last game of the year he had thrown one interception off season. So uh, I, I think just, you know he's really the total package in terms of what you look for in, in a quarterback. You know both physically and then also that mental maturity as well. So you know we'll see if any you know flaws uh, are exposed in his second year. But it's just hard to really poke a, a significant hole in his game because he's just been so rock solid. Do you think there's a possibility that we could see him reach a new level? Because if you kind of think about it, you know, last season he's coming in, new coach, new environment from Georgia, new offense, a new completely way of doing things, and he plays so well, and now it's like he has that continuity. He's coming in, knows the coach, knows the offensive system. It's like, okay, we know what we have to do. Now we just need to build on it. Yeah, I mean, the question is what does a new level entail? Because he was already one of the best quarterbacks in college football last year. So, I mean, I mean sure, I think he can get better I think there's a little limit to how, you know, distinguishably better he can get when he was already playing really well. So, I mean, yeah, the passing numbers could get a little bit higher. Uh, the rushing numbers could get a little bit higher. I do think it's going to be a more quarterback-heavy offense for Ohio State in 2020 because without J.K. Dobbins running the ball, uh, I think they are going to need to rely on Justin to make plays himself a little more than they needed to last year. So I do think his numbers uh, could improve in that regard. And I think, uh, you know, some of the big plays might fall on his shoulders more in that regard. But, you know, in terms of a new level, I, I think that's just kind of hard to define what that would be with how well he already played last season. Now, what's going to be the talk all college football season? It's going to be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Uh, just how spectacular these two guys are, and do you think that one guy is better than the other, in your opinion? Yeah, I think they're both really good. I mean, I mean, you know, if I were to tell you that I think Trevor Lawrence is clearly better than Justin Fields, then I'm never going to hear the end of it. <laughs> Ohio State, but I mean, I, I really don't think that one is clearly better than the other. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I think they're both fantastic players. Um, you know, I, I think you know Trevor Lawrence is probably a little bit better as a passer. Justin Fields is probably 
a little bit better as a runner, but you know, then again, you you watch the game between them last year, and, and Field was the better passer in that game, and, and Lawrence was the better runner. So I think they're both phenomenal talent. Like I think they're both uh, guys who are going to be very very high NFL draft picks. I mean, these these guys were the number one and number two prospects in their class for a reason because uh, they're they're both tremendous talent. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, both on and off the field, they both really have all the qualities you're looking for in a quarterback. So for me to say that I think one is really better than the other, I, I really can't. Because I, I, I think they're both fantastic. And I think, uh, you know, I do think I do think there's a gap there in terms of them and everybody else. Certainly we could see other star quarterbacks emerge. But right now I think those two are clearly the best quarterbacks in college football. And I don't think anyone else is particularly close. So last year, Ohio State, they have Chase Young, and he has uh, one of the most dominant seasons ever on defense. I just want to know, what are your thoughts on Chase Young? How good do you think he's going to be in the NFL? And what was it like seeing him live at the time at Ohio State? Well, I mean, he's, he's certainly, uh, a, certainly spectacular to watch him because uh, he, he's such a gifted, gifted player. Um, you, know, such, you know, such physical talent there. Uh, excellent pass rusher. Um, and, and another guy who, you know, really, you know, everybody has good things to say about in, in terms of who he is as a person, in terms of his character. So, uh, I mean, he, he, he had one of the, you know, greatest individual defensive seasons we've ever seen in college football, last year, in my opinion. And I think he's going to be a star in the NFL because he's got every, everything that you're looking for uh, in a defensive end. So, uh, if he's not a star in the NFL, I'll be surprised. So Ohio State is going to play Alabama in 2027 and in 2028, I believe. Now, my first question is, why couldn't we get this primetime matchup like five years ago? Because I know people would have loved it. But why do you think we're getting it now? Well, I mean, you know, I, I can't speak for why it didn't happen five years ago. Because, I mean, these, you know, these are just things that, you know, happen. And, you know, contract, these things tend to be scheduled out uh, very well in advance. But... I think it's happening now because I think both athletic departments realize uh, it's, it's, it's a great thing for college football and it's a great thing uh, for their fan bases to be able to have these two teams play uh, one game in Ohio Stadium and one game in Bryant Denny Stadium. So uh, I think certainly it's, it's a matchup everybody's going to be looking forward to. Uh, certainly the TV networks are going to love it. Uh, certainly I think, you know, as you look at some of the issues that college football teams have started to run into with attendance in recent years, uh, these are games you look at that's going to be guaranteed sell-ups for those schools. So I think there's a lot of incentive uh, to do it. And I also think teams are maybe looking a little bit, too, and saying uh, after that 2026 season, the, the current deal for college football playoff runs out. And a lot of people think that it, it could expand to eight teams at that time. So I think uh, you do look at that as possibility these teams saying, okay, well, maybe in 2027 and 2028, uh, there'll be an 18 playoff. There'll be more incentive to play these big games during the season. Uh, less uh, concern about when spots could potentially knock us out. So I think that's part of why you're seeing some of these really big matchups uh, being scheduled down the line as well. Will Nick Saban be the coach when Ohio State and Alabama play each other? I mean, I would lean for no. <laughs> I think he's going to be like 78 at that time. But, you know, I love football, so... Uh, I'm not going to put it past him. Um, I think he's one of those guys who, uh, you know, is still got several years left of coaching in him. But uh, seven years from now is a long time. And my last question for you: Would you be in favor if college football expanded their playoffs from four to eight? 
I would be. I, I do think uh, I do think that's going to happen at some point, and I think uh, it should happen. I think uh, the benefits of an eight-team playoff is uh, you can get you know all five power conference champions in there. Uh, I, I would also advocate for including a group of five team in there, and then a couple at-large teams as well. So I, I do think eight teams uh, is the future of the college football playoff at some point. And I do think that would be good for college football. I'm personally also an advocate of the model that would have teams play uh, the first the first round game uh, at their home stadiums because I think it would be awesome uh, to see first round playoff games at Ohio Stadium and, and Tuscaloosa and, and LSU and Georgia. I think it would be really cool uh, to see those top four seeds get to host playoff games at their home stadium. So that would be my that would be my opinion for what I think the playoffs should look like in the future, but uh, we will see what it, we will see what ultimately looks like. But I, I do think that the playoff is going to expand because uh, ultimately money drives a lot of these decisions, and I definitely think there's more money to be made in an 18 playoff. Dan, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. And once again, I want to thank Dan Hope for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 173rd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.